Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, June 13th, we're studying Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. Paul leaves Athens and travels to Corinth, where he stays for a year and a half teaching the Word of God. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor William Turgeson. Pastor Turgeson serves at the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in Peekskill, New York. Pastor Turgeson, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's good to be with you. As we get started this morning, Pastor, let's talk a little context. We're starting Acts chapter 18 today. What should we know about where Paul has been, where he's going as we prepare to look at this text? Okay, the first thing to pay attention to is the wide context. Back in Acts chapter 1, we're told that the Holy Spirit would empower the apostles to go and to preach in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so what we see is the movement of the gospel uh, all the way through the book of Acts coming to a, a climax in the last chapter of Acts, where Paul, even though he's under house arrest in Rome, he is nevertheless able to preach the gospel and teach the Christian faith without any hindrance or without any pressure to keep quiet. And so we see this beautiful movement that starts in Jerusalem, it goes to Samaria, it goes to Antioch, then we come to Corinth, which is the first big uh, European push, uh, and then later on uh, Ephesus and finally Rome. So here what we're seeing is we're seeing the guidance of the Holy Spirit after Paul and uh, Silas revisit the churches from the first missionary journey in the Galatian area, they try to go in several directions, but it says that the Spirit of God forbade them to do so. They end up in Troas, where they then take shipping, and they go over into Macedonia in response to the Macedonian call that uh, Paul received in a dream. Churches are established in Philippi, and then in Thessalonica, and then also in Berea. But there's a great deal of opposition to Paul's mission there, uh, opposition from the Jews of the synagogue. And so Paul goes down to Athens, and there he awaits the arrival of Silas and Timothy. Uh, and uh, a church is established in Athens. But then Paul doesn't stay there. He goes and he moves on to Corinth. And that's where we come to today in our text uh, before us. He arrives in Corinth and begins to do mission work in the city of Corinth, which is a very big commercial center, whereas Athens was a big philosophical intellectual center. 
here in Corinth, you have a kind of a gateway to the whole rest of the empire. It's a big shipping area, very cosmopolitan, and so Paul sees this as a very uh, big opportunity to not only preach to the Corinthians, but also to expand outward from there. Let's go ahead and take a look at what happens in Acts chapter 18 when Paul goes to Corinth. We turn to the text beginning at verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see it, see to it yourselves." I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. That's our text for today. That's Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. Pastor Turgeson, as you were saying beforehand, as Paul leaves Athens and goes to Corinth, he changes scenery. There's a bit different context. Athens is, is known for this philosophy, as, as we saw yesterday, or previous text on Friday. Uh, we saw that Athens is a city full of idols, and Paul really makes use of that as he preaches there. Corinth, you said, is, is more of a commercial center, a gateway to the rest of the empire. Uh, tell us more about that Corinthian context. What is the, I mean, we know Corinthians, the two epistles that we've got in the scriptures, Paul wrote to them. So we're a little bit familiar, I think. What's the, what's the context in which Paul finds himself there in Corinth? All right, so uh, it's a very populous city. It is also a very pagan city. There is uh, a good deal of, uh, of pagan worship going on, and you'll see this later on in, the, in his first letter to the Corinthians, where he is constantly dealing with uh, Christians and whether or not they should attend banquets connected to these idol temples. Uh, and so Paul is confronted with the idolatry of, of the Corinthians. The other thing about a place like Corinth is that it is a place of great immorality. 
in in the city of Corinth, a prostitute was called a Corinthian girl. So Corinth had a big reputation for being a, a place where immorality was widespread. So Paul here is in a place that you would think he would be intimidated. You would think that he would feel like a distinct minority, uh, a, a godly Christian living in the midst of a people who are thoroughly given over to idolatry, similar to Athens, uh, but also great immorality. Uh, and uh, he's going to have a challenge to explain to his Christians in the future what it means to be a Christian in an unchristian atmosphere. We talked a little bit about this with the the context in Athens and all the idolatry that was there and how it, it might not have seemed like a very fertile ground for the word. And yet Paul was unafraid to preach the word there, knowing that the word is powerful for, for slightly different reasons. Corinth might've seemed like unfruitful ground for the word. And yet, and yet Paul does the same here with that confidence that the Lord's word mm-hmm. will be effective. It's, it's, I mean, again, not quite the same thing. And yet the word of the Lord is going forth just as you said, the Holy Spirit has promised that this would happen. And so even in places like Athens and Corinth, and, and Corinth in particular, as you mentioned, what the, the term for a prostitute, and even I think just the, the like to Corinthianize or something like that, was they'd taken mm-hmm. the name of the city and made it into a verb. And that was to engage in this sort of immorality, of, of sexual immorality. It's just I mean, the, the gross immorality. Take a look at the letters to the Corinthians and you can see a, a flavor of that. That's where Paul finds himself, and yet he's going to preach the word of God there. They need it. Yes. yes. So, go ahead, Pastor. Oh, and and you know what what he what he does is he gets right down to work here. Uh, the first the first thing that we notice in our text is that he comes uh, to an acquaintance with a Jew by the name of Aquila, who was born in Pontus and had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And so he came to them. So what this means is that shortly after arriving in Corinth, he struck up an acquaintance with these two Jewish people. Now, Pontus is north of Galatia in Asia Minor, and it is on the coast of the Black Sea, and that's where Priscilla and Aquila are from. But they had been living in Rome, and because of this trouble with the Jews under Claudius the emperor, they had to leave Rome uh, when he commanded all the Jews to depart, and they ended up in Corinth, and that's where Paul struck up a relationship with them. And because they were tent makers, uh, Paul got a job working for for them, and uh, and their their relationship uh, is going to grow, and Priscilla and Aquila seem to be, at this point, Jews who are not Christians, but become Christians under the ministry of Paul while he is living with them in their house and working for them in their tent-making business. So right off the bat, there's this beautiful picture of God's 
gracious providence that it just so happens that Priscilla and Aquila meet up with Paul. And as we know from reading the rest of the book of Acts and some of the epistle greetings uh, in the book of Romans, etc., and Ephesus, we find that they will be a big part of his mission work. They will be partners with him uh, in his work. And so right here we see the beginning of a beautiful relationship that will become a Christian uh, relationship. You know, Jesus said to Peter, uh, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so Jesus is the one who builds the church, and he builds it by means of the preaching of the gospel. That is, he sends men out into the world to preach the good news of salvation through faith in Christ. And here we see how Paul is now in Corinth. He strikes up a friendship. This friendship will bear fruit for the Christian faith. And, uh, and it's in this context that Paul begins to uh, do further work. Uh, among the Corinthians. So, and, and just, this was something that I was pondering and I, I, I was wondering about this and I, I, this is the way I was leaning was the way you explained it, that it seems that Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla through the tent making business rather than the preaching business, but the, yeah. but the preaching follows afterwards. And so it's a, the Lord opens this door for Priscilla and Aquila to, to hear the gospel through Paul's occupation of, of tent making. That's a, a rather marvelous thing to see. Yeah, and, and in 1 Corinthians, we, we learn that Paul often uh, did not make use of his uh, right to receive remuneration from the churches. He often supported himself uh, in order to uh, be a blessing to the cong- these small congregations that were... Uh, sometimes undergoing hard circumstances. So, so Paul does make good use of this trade. You know, among the uh, Jewish uh, teachers in the Talmud and the Mishnah, etc., we learned that uh, it was very important for uh, a, a Jewish man not only to teach the Torah to his sons, but also to see that they had a trade. And so Paul, even though he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and even though he was uh, a distinguished uh, person, he nevertheless had a trade, and that was tent-making. Uh, and, and through that, he entered into this relationship. First, it was a work relationship and a, and a growing friendship, which then eventuated in the conversion of both Aquila and Priscilla. Yeah, it's a marvelous way to see how the Lord opens the door for the gospel to be preached for Priscilla and Aquila through this matter of tent making. And then also, as, as you pointed out, the, the way that Paul made use of the tent making so as not to burden the churches that he that he served. He did not, and he, as you said, he makes a big point of this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that he provided for himself through the tent making. So that's that's what's going on here. And all the while, the Lord is growing his church. He is building upon Christ the rock. 
Now, Paul Paul's ministry there is described in verse 4, his ministry in Corinth, and it starts in the synagogue. This is not unusual. We've seen Paul do this. Uh, take us into how Paul's ministry in Corinth begins through what happens in his preaching at the synagogue. Yeah, so just, just as is his habit when he goes into a new area, he begins at the synagogue. And it says in our text that uh, in verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So he is working, uh, discussing things and trying to persuade the Jews and the God-fearers who would be attached to um, many uh, local synagogues. So you would have the Jewish population of a particular city, and they would form a synagogue, and very often, because these were largely Gentile areas, there would be interested Gentile people who would, who would be drawn to the Jewish faith, and some of them would convert entirely, others would be uh, proselytes of the gate, others would just be God-fearers who... Uh, uh, they were Gentiles who believed in the God of Israel. So, so what you would have then is a mostly Jewish synagogue with a number of, of these Gentile God-fearers. And, and what Paul does is he begins to lay the groundwork by having discussions and seeking to persuade uh, both Jew and Gentile of the truth of the Christian faith. Uh, and uh, so he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, what, and during the week he's working. So he's tent-making during the week and saving it up for the Sabbath day so that he can go into the synagogue, and there he can uh, have discussions with people in, and, and slowly bring them uh, to consider the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 5, Silas and Timothy return to Paul. They had been separated previously after after Paul had gotten run out of both Thessalonica and then Berea. There was a separation between Silas and Timothy. They went, went one way to, to stay and strengthen the brothers while Paul had gone on to Athens. Now they're back together. And, and Paul, again, Luke is, is clear as to what Paul is doing, and the way that he, he phrases it gives us evidence as to how Paul was persuading people. He was testifying that the Christ was Jesus. Here, here we have a summary of Paul's preaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Titus, the, 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 the arrival of Titus and Timothy seems to have occurred at a point where Paul was beginning to kind of bring his message of the gospel to a climax. Um, some people have said that their presence encouraged him, uh, and that he kind of uh, intensified his testimony to Jesus. Uh, but basically, Paul is working every Sabbath with the Jews and with the god fears. He is trying to persuade them. He is endeavoring to reason with them. Uh, and then he kind of brings it all to a climax, uh, saying that uh, Jesus is the Christ, or the Christ is Jesus. In other words, he gets right to the heart of the matter 
uh, and and kind of gives them the full brunt of the gospel faith. Mm. And uh, this is what kind of eventuates a clash. So the the clash begins in verse 6. There are those who are opposing and reviling Paul, and Paul has a pretty strong reaction. What? Why are they reviling him, and how does Paul respond? Well, they, they finally, you know, when, when Paul really emphasizes that Jesus is the Christ, that there is no other, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, the reaction is one of hostility. Uh, it says that they opposed him. Uh, they, they had been having discussions. They had been talking back and forth for quite some time, but now they they become utterly opposed to Paul's ministry, and it says that they blaspheme. That is, they they not only spoke evil of Paul, but they spoke evil of the Lord and His Christ. And so, and so Paul uh, responds to this by saying, "Your blood be on your own head. I am clean." From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So here, this kind of reminds us of what Jesus said to his disciples when he sent them out on the preaching tours. Uh, He said, if somebody will not receive you, then wipe the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. Uh, And and what that refers to is that... uh, when when Jews were traveling on business into Gentile territory, when they were on their way home, the minute that they got to the border of the Promised Land, they would shake the Gentile dust off of their feet, lest they contaminate the Holy Land with the dust of uh, heathen nations. And so here Paul is referring to something very similar to that. He's like, your blood be on your head, I am clean, I go to the Gentiles. And he shook his garments as a testimony to them, shaking the dust off of his garments. And, uh, and also what we're reminded of here is the uh, prophecy of the watchman from the book of Ezekiel. Uh, where the watchman has a a divinely given responsibility to speak the truth and to testify to the truth. Uh, And uh, and so if a person hears the truth and rejects it, then it's upon them. Uh, At least the, the watchman has been faithful to tell the truth, to bear witness as God has given him to do. So Paul is saying, all right, you've had your opportunity. I'm done. I'm going to go to the Gentiles from this point on. They will be interested in hearing me. And this is, of course, what has happened many times in Paul's missionary work. He begins with the Jews, you know, in Romans chapter 1, that the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And Paul here is talking about his, his methodology. First, he takes the gospel to the Jews in a particular city, and then when they reject it, some of them will receive it and believe, 
but when the mass of them reject it, he goes to the gospel, uh, to, the, to the Gentiles, rather. And so here, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. I have told you what God has sent me to tell you. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. Yeah, it's a very, very similar to, the, to what happened when Paul preached in Pisidian Antioch back in Acts chapter 13. Luke recorded the whole sermon there that Paul preached in that synagogue. And the next Sabbath, when he comes back, there's a huge crowd. The Jews become jealous. And, and though it's not quite the exact same words, it's the very, very same idea that he says, you know, I needed to preach first to you. You've judged yourself unworthy by rejecting this. And so now we're going to the Gentiles. And there he quoted Isaiah chapter 49 as, as a reference to that's what's happening. And I appreciate you bringing out the Ezekiel reference within Paul's own words that he says, he's innocent. This is on you. You heard the warning. You didn't listen. And so now when the judgment comes, you should have known. And Paul says, I'm going to go on to preach that warning to the Gentiles. So again, yeah, very similar things that have happened previously in Paul's ministry happening once again here at the synagogue in Corinth. Now we're going to get to hear more of, of what happens there in Corinth. And it's, it strikes me that after this scene of a, a clash and rejection, Luke's primarily going to record more positive happenings about people who did receive the, the good news. And it seems like quite a bit of that reception of, of the gospel in faith happened there in Corinth. But we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We are talking Acts chapter 18 with Pastor William Turgeson. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, June 13th. We're studying Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17 with Pastor William Turgeson. He serves at the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in Peekskill, New York. Pastor Turgeson, before the break, we left off with Paul's words against those who rejected him at the synagogue. He says he is innocent, the blood of the people who rejected the gospel. That will be on their own heads. And Paul is going to the Gentiles. And then in verse 7, it begins to describe the people who did receive the good news, starting with a man named Titius Justus in verse 7. T- take us into verse 7 next, please. All right, so it, at the end of verse 6, we're left with a sense of foreboding. Uh-oh, all that work, and it's gonna, uh, what's going to happen now? It doesn't look good. Uh, but in verse 7, St. Luke tells us that... Uh, he departed from the synagogue and entered into the house of a certain man, uh, and uh, we'll call him Justice for short. Uh, and he was one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So one of these God-fearing Gentiles invites Paul to 
come to his house and have meetings there. All right, Paul is still dwelling with Priscilla and Aquila, but what happens here is right next door to the synagogue, a Christian congregation begins to be formed. So uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing that, though in the previous verse we have this kind of sense of like, uh-oh, what's going to happen now? And the next verse we immediately begin to see that things are beginning to bear fruit. Uh, and this guy, Justice, seems to have been uh, a relatively uh, important person in, in Corinth. Uh, you mentioned uh, that name, Titius, Titius Justice, and, and, uh, and that name uh, is a name that is uh, well-known. Uh, he is a somebody in the city of Corinth. And he invites Paul to make his house, which is right next door to the synagogue, a, uh, a center for the preaching of the gospel. The interesting thing about that, too, is the fact that all throughout history we see the same thing happening, because the Israelites, the people of Israel, have not disappeared like so many of the ancient people, you know, whatever happened to the Philistines, you know, whatever happened to all those nations that we hear talk of as we read the Bible. But God has kept these people of Israel, and, and all throughout the history of the Christian era, there is the church and the synagogue, and they are in proximity to one another. You know, Paul talks about the fact that... Uh, he wants to make the Jews jealous. Mm. But what we see is that in every generation, sometimes larger, sometimes smaller, there, there comes into the Christian Church those among the Jews who come to faith in Christ and believe in the Gospel. And so, just like in our text here, there's a synagogue, and right next door there is a Christian Church, and we're going to see that other people, uh, even some of the Jews, come into this newly planted congregation. Uh, and so it is all throughout history that God is, is gathering not only the people of the world to himself, but also the people of Israel. And in every generation, the elect among the Jews are coming into the Christian church uh, just just like we see here. It really is remarkable how in, from verse six, the the strife that is there, and and I mean, I'm I'm thinking, okay, what we saw happen in Thessalonica is about to repeat itself, and and it doesn't. I mean, even with those who reject Paul and the gospel, there are a lot of people that that Luke tells us that actually believed. And as you said, you've got this one prominent person who who we start a Christian church right next to the synagogue. And even then in verse eight, Crispus, who is the ruler of the synagogue, he and his whole household come to the Lord. Tell us a little bit about Crispus. Yeah, so Christmas, Crispus is one of the rulers of the synagogue. That is, he is an officer in the synagogue. And despite the fact that the rest of the synagogue in general was blaspheming and opposing Paul, this Crispus, he believes on the Lord with all his household. That means he and his whole family 
came to faith in Jesus Christ uh, and believed on the Lord and became part of this congregation, which probably was very shocking to the synagogue there to have one of their prominent people, uh, not only the God-fearer Justice, but also Crispus here, who is a, a very uh, high officer in the synagogue, comes to the Christian faith. And then also in the rest of verse 8, we learn that many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So what we have here is great success. You know, Paul's preaching of the gospel is bearing fruit, not only with the God-fearers, but also with prominent Jews who are coming to believe on the Lord and be baptized, and also many of the Corinthians in general, as they are hearing the gospel, they believe and are baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mm. Now, in verse 9, the Lord comes to Paul and, and speaks to him in a vision, telling him not to be afraid. What, what is there in the, the vision that Paul has? What does the Lord tell him? All right. First, first of all, uh, it, it, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night in a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. Now, he's not saying this because Paul is reluctant to speak, because if there's anything that we glean about Paul, he was never reluctant to speak. (laughs) But he wants to remind Paul that uh, he he says, I'm with you, no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. So Jesus, you know, the Lord knows them that are his. And so he knows how many of the Corinthians and who they are that are going to come to the faith. And so he's encouraging Paul here, telling Paul that his preaching is not going to be in vain, telling him to keep it up, uh, continue to uh, minister, uh, because there are going to be many converts in the city of Corinth. And then he also uh, tells Paul not to be afraid. I'm not going to let anyone hurt you, attack you. I have many people in this city. And as a result of this, Paul stays in Corinth for a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. So Paul is encouraged to stay in Corinth for quite some time. That's not Paul's normal way of going about things. We see this in three places especially. We see it here in Corinth, where he stays for a long time. And then later on in Ephesus, he will stay again for a long time. And then finally, for two, uh, two years and, and something, he will be in Rome freely preaching the gospel. And so you have these three, these three mission centers as we read through the rest of the book of Acts. First here in Corinth, later on in Ephesus, and finally in Rome. And it is in these three places that we see Paul spending a good deal of time because the gospel is going to go out from Corinth, going to go out from Ephesus, and going to go out from Rome unto the uttermost parts of the earth. 
And when we read the book of Revelation, for example, there are the seven churches in Asia Minor. The chief one of those churches is Ephesus. And as a result of the ministry of Paul and others in the city of Ephesus, there is a spreading of the gospel to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to uh, all of those other cities in that mail route area uh, in uh, Western Asia Minor. So with this with this vision, I, I appreciate the way you, you put that. That Corinth then becomes this mission center. I, I was I was wondering why why a vision right here right now. I mean, just thinking through some of the the earlier parts of the Book of Acts in Acts chapter ten, the Lord gives Peter that vision that spurs him on to go to the house of Cornelius and preach to the Gentiles. You mentioned this earlier in the context that in in chapter sixteen, the Lord gives Paul the vision of the Macedonian man, which spurs the gospel to go into Europe. What's this? Why here? Why a vision here? And I, I think you're, you're probably onto something that that the Lord is is basically telling Paul, here's Corinth, and it's going to become an important center for mission activity within this part of the world. And it, it does. It leads Paul to stay longer in this place than he stayed anywhere else up to this point. I, that is that. I mean, I, I think that that makes sense to me. Sure. And uh, you know, you see two things. Uh, that that are set before us in preparation for this. First of all is the blaspheming and opposition from the synagogue that takes place, which would, which would be an intimidating thing. But then you see this, this success that takes place, that a Christian congregation is formed hard by the synagogue. There is the House of Justice, a worshiper of God, and that house becomes the center of uh, of the church's life in Corinth. And so, uh, so Jesus here is encouraging Paul to continue to speak boldly the word of God in the city of Corinth, uh, and not to uh, not to think that he had to get out. You know, it's funny. Paul is kind of like a, a he, he's kind of like a lightning rod. Mm. Back in, when we saw in, in uh, Philippi, we saw in Thessalonica, and also in Berea, you know, it was Paul that attracted all of the negative attention from his opponents. Uh, not necessarily Silas, not necessarily Timothy, but Paul is the one that everybody seems to focus on. He is the, he is the guy. And, uh, and, and so, so Paul might think, well, now we have this trouble, I've got a congregation start, maybe it's time for me to move on, but Jesus encourages him, no, it's not time to move on now, continue to speak, don't be afraid, do not keep silent, I'm with you. Uh, and so as a result of this, he stays there for a year and a half. And Corinth becomes, as we said, a mission center. And then in verses 12 through 17, the rest of our text, it seems then that that Luke records this as an example of the Lord fulfilling the promise that he made to Paul there in verses 9 and 10. The Lord had said, you know, no one's going to attack you. No one's going to harm you. 
And what happens in, in verses 12 through 17 almost seems like, well, that was a bunch of nothing. <laughs> and, and yet, yeah. I mean, you know, when you, when you consider what else Paul has gone through, he's, he was actually stoned at one point and, and he's been chased out of town after town. Here, here comes an account where persecution starts. It's not looking good. And then it just fizzles out because of this, this proconsul. It, it seems that what happens here in verses 12 through 17 is basically Luke saying, look, the Lord fulfilled the promise that he made to, to Paul. It is, it's a, it's an interesting little account. So it starts when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. T- take us into to what happens beginning in verse 12. All right. So Gallio, he, he is the proconsul and he has come from Rome during the time that Paul is conducting his mission work, uh, in Corinth. Now we left the synagogue in a state of opposition and blasphemy against the preaching of the gospel by Paul, and uh, and you got to you you've got to see that uh, having Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, become a Christian and move himself and his whole family into the church m- did not go over well, and yet the mission of Paul and the others in, uh, in the church at Corinth goes on, and, and it goes on quite successfully, and so the Christian congregation becomes rather sizable. Uh, and so the Jews decide that they're going to try something. They're going to try to get Paul in trouble with the law. And so they take Paul before Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, and with one accord they rose up against Paul, brought him to the judgment seat, and they say, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And what they're doing is they're, they're using the, uh, the fact that the Jewish religion in the Roman Empire was a legal religion. Mm. Right? There, were, there were illicit religions, and there were legal or licit religions. And so they're trying to say that Paul is teaching something that is not in accord with our legal, legally established and accepted Jewish religion. He is, he is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Uh, and so, so he's breaking Roman law in order, uh, in this preaching that he's doing, which is not consistent with what we, the Jews, preach and teach. And so, therefore, we want the government to step in and deal with this internal matter uh, of the synagogue. The synagogue should have taken care of this themselves if they if they wanted redress. They should have. It was an in-house thing. But what they do is they say, since we are religio licita, we want to get Paul in trouble for claiming to be part of that legal religion, but teaching contrary to it. Mm. Gallio, right from the beginning, seems to, uh, seems to know what they're up to. Uh, 
Uh, and remember that Gallio comes into Achaia and becomes the proconsul in Achaia from Rome. So he's sent from Rome. Therefore, he was he was well aware of the problem that caused Claudius, the emperor, to drive the Jews out of Rome. And so there was a big, uh, a big thing that blew up in the city of Rome o- over a matter of, a per- uh, of some person called Crestus, C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S. Uh, and, and there was so much trouble that Claudius uh, compelled the Jews to get out of the city of Rome. Some people think that Crestus is kind of a misspelling of Christ, that there was some kind of controversy about Christ among the Jews in Rome. It's not quite so sure that that's the case, but at any rate, uh, Gallio comes to Corinth having been aware of the trouble that the Jews had made in Rome, and now he comes here. He's just begun his uh, his his work as the proconsul, and now he's dealing with the same kind of trouble that uh, that was encountered in Rome. So, so well, the Jews here. Okay, go ahead. Well, I just I mean it, it strikes me then that that Gallio is is well placed to handle this situation, and uh, I mean just knowing that the the Lord is the Lord of history. That that he would have Gallio be proconsul at this time strikes me as as no mere coincidence. But the Lord again fulfilling the promise that He made to Paul that that He's going to take care of him and that He's not going to receive harm here. The fact that Gallio is the one to be there and is well suited to handle this and and see through what's what's really going on here is is divine providence. I think. Although I will say I'm I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't get to hear in verse 14 what Paul was gonna say when he was about to open his mouth that Gallio interrupted. <laughs> I, I would have loved to know what was on Paul's mind at the moment, but Gallio interrupts him. <laughs> That's the only the only one thing I wish I, I wish Gallio would let Paul talk. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of amusing. Paul <laughs> Paul kind of leans forward, opens his mouth, and Gallio preempts him. And it's, it's kind of like a funny thing, uh, because Paul is always willing to not only defend himself, but to further the cause of the gospel. Uh, but yeah, uh, don't worry, Jesus said. I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And here... Uh, by the providential workings of God, this guy Gallio is the one who is placed in this situation. And so this big potential problem uh, comes to nothing. And uh, so Gallio says, uh, he says to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. So, in other words, if, if Paul had committed some kind of wickedness, if he had committed some kind of a crime, then there would be a reason for me to, uh, to, to deal with your accusation. But, he says, if it is a question of words and names... And your own law, so your words and names, you know, uh, doctrines, if you will, 
doctrines and the you know how how the Jews would often quote uh, authorities, Jewish authorities, as the Talmud does. Rabbi so and so says this. Rabbi so and so said this. Well, Rabbi so and so said another thing completely, and and so he, so Gallio he he says here if it's a question of words and names, that is doctrines and authorities, uh, and your own law, you know, your own religious law, which is not the law of Rome. He says, look to it yourselves, take care of it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. Mm. And so he throws them out of court, and the whole thing comes to nothing. Mm. You know, right. I, wrote down, I wrote down in my notes here uh, that the Jews take Paul to court and lose big. Yeah. Yes, yes, they do. And although it seems that they, they're still out for something. So the, our text concludes with what happens to Sosthenes, who's also a ruler of the synagogue. Uh, tell us what, what happens to Sosthenes, and, and maybe just a little bit about who Sosthenes is. Well, Sosthenes is one of the other rulers of the synagogue. And uh, he, he obviously seems to be the one who was leading the delegation that brought the charges against Paul to Gallio. So he seems to be uh, the, the prominent speaker, the one who stood up and spoke for the Jews in this whole question. Uh, and again, the, the synagogue had already lost Crispus, who was also one of the rulers of the synagogue when he was converted to the Christian faith. But now... Sosthenes, who speaks for the synagogue here uh, and is a ruler of the synagogue, gets beaten before the judgment seat by the Greeks. So they, they take Gallio's refusal to uh, deal with the matter uh, and the fact that he drove them from the judgment seat. Uh, and w what that really means is that Sosthenes and the Jewish party that was there trying to make their case, when he, when he told them that he was not going to be a judge of such matters, instead of leaving, they seemed to have stayed and tried to press the issue. And therefore, uh, and therefore Gallio's soldiers had to, uh, had to push them out or drive them out of the judgment seat. And when this rough handling by the soldiers takes place, uh, the Greeks who were there observing the situation take this as an opportunity to uh, double down on it. And so what they do is they take Sosthenes, who was the chief spokesman, and they beat him right in front of the judgment seat and it says that Gallio took no notice of these things. He paid no attention to it whatsoever. Mm. So, uh, so here we, we see that uh, they, tried, they, they, they tried to get Paul. They tried to get the empire against Paul. But uh, by means of his divine prov providence, the Lord saw to it that the right man was in the right place at the right time. And so 
the opposition to Paul's work falls to the ground, and Paul is able to continue in his ministry. Now, in in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1, there's a Sosthenes mentioned who's called our brother. You know, Paul names himself as the author, and then he says, and our brother Sosthenes. So I'm imagining this is the same person, that that even this this ruler of the synagogue, too, comes to the faith, it seems. Yeah, it could could be so, and that would be, you know, that would be a lovely thought. Some of the commentaries that I was reading as I was preparing for this, there was differences of opinion. Okay. Some, uh, some like for example, uh, Lenski's commentary. He said that uh, it's a different Sosthenes, oh, okay. different, different place, different. Uh, you know, because Paul is writing to the Corinthians from what is it, Ephesus? Right, I think so. so yeah. yeah. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so it could could be a different Sosthenes. In either yeah. case, we see here in Acts chapter eighteen how the Lord fulfills the promise that he made to Paul. Uh, Pastor Turgeson, we've got about two minutes left in the morning. Help us to wrap things up on this text. Give us the good news from this section of Acts 18. Well, the, the good news is this, that Jesus Christ is building his church. As he did in Corinth here under the ministry of Paul, so he continues to do among us. Wherever God's word is preached and the sacraments are administered in accordance with with his divine institution, there he is at work uh, among his church, uh, both creating faith in those who hear the gospel and sustaining the faith that he has created. And so we see that it's not us that build the church. You know, we, we, we go out with the message that we've been given uh, to preach and to teach, we go out with the sacraments that we have been commanded to uh, administer according to his institution. But it is the Lord who is the doer of the work. He is the one who is building his church. Uh, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And, and, and by saying that it is the power of God unto salvation, he's saying that through the gospel, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed. Through the gospel, the Holy Spirit is at work. And through the gospel, you know, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so we are encouraged here today as we read about these events that took place 2,000 years ago in the pagan city of Corinth, we are encouraged to continue to use God's Word and sacraments, faithfully believing that He will use these things to build His Church. You know, we're, go- we're living in a time when the Church is under assault from many different sides, but Here we see that despite the opposition of those who set themselves up against it, nevertheless the Word of God goes on. Uh, And we just as with Paul here, who is encouraged by Jesus uh, to speak and not keep silent, for I am with you, so it is that he says to us, through this very word to Paul, he says to us, 
do not keep silent, don't be afraid, speak and do not keep silent, I am with you. And so the Lord is graciously with us, and he is building his church, and he calls us to use his word and sacraments as we proclaim it to the world. Pastor William Turgeson is pastor at the the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in Peekskill, New York, helping us today with Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. Pastor Turgeson, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 18, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.